Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Show. My name is Chris Hughes, and today we're joined by Anil Carmel. Anil, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat with you. But for folks that don't know you, don't know your background or what, you up to, what you're up to, do you mind telling us a bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the, the problem that we solve is rooted in personal pain. So uh, we both came out of, as co-founders, the Department of Energy's Nuclear Weapons Program. So I came out of Los Alamos National Laboratory. My co-founder and uh, our chief technology officer came out of Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Um, and we felt this pain of compliance having to build all this compliance documentation in Word and Excel that was instantly out of date to becoming CTOs of the NNSA and having to physically sign off and accept risk on behalf of the government for running these systems going, there's got to clearly be a better way. Compliance is not scalable. So decided to leave government and do something about it. And that was the genesis for the platform that uh, we now call RegScale. Awesome. I know you're a, a proponent of uh, the concept called RegOps. RegOps. Do you mind talking about uh, that a bit? What exactly is that? You know, we've heard DevOps, for example. What is RegOps? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the fundamental underlying principles that we brought here to RegScale as a design criteria is looking at what was done in DevOps, right? Where you had developers working on code, they'd go pitch it over to system administrators. System administrators would look at that and then say, okay, you gotta go fix X, Y, or Z, hand it back to a developer. Developer have to go fix it, hand it back over to sysadmin. Sysadmin would have to go then put it in production. Then security would come in and say, no, 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 here's all the security issues you gotta go deal with. Go fix all those issues before you can go promote that so that everyone have to go back. And these individual silos had to work right kind of next to each other, pitching things over the fence, right? So. This is where DevOps and then DevSecOps was born, where now we're working in an agile manner, right? Underpinned with an agile manifesto of, hey, you know, here's kind of the way that we should operate. Um, and CICD pipelines were born. And now we're embedding security into the pipeline and the process before code even exits the pipeline, right? But we're still doing compliance after all that stuff. So after the code exits the pipeline, now the compliance people are coming and saying, tell me how you've met AC2, tell me how you've met AC5, tell me how you met IA1, right, for NIST controls, right? And you gotta do it for ISO and PCI and SOX and HIPAA and the, the list goes on and on and on. So we're like, look, how can you bring the principles of DevOps to compliance, right? And that's where the idea and the concept of regulatory operations or RegOps was born, right? Why can't we develop compliance documentation at the speed of code. We can, because we, the technology has arrived today, the as code movement and the shift left movement now provide us the tools and the vehicles for us to shift left, not only security, but also shift left compliance. And that's thus the fundamental thesis and concept of regulatory operations underpinned by a compliance manifesto that mirrors the agile manifesto. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I've been in that position many times using legacy GRC tools and, you know, sending spreadsheets around, asking if it's the right spreadsheet, you know, have you updated this? Uh, it's a really painful process. It's a tedious process. And it's really no way to kind of have that continuous monitoring that we're trying to strive for from a compliance perspective. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you touch a little bit us, uh, uh, on this on the technology front. You know, how do you think the role of APIs, you know, uh, tool chains, pipelines, you know, cloud, how do you think that's impacted and changed, you know, the way we approach compliance or, or what opportunities does it present to us? It's those four things that make this possible, right? The rise of the API economy, being able to exchange information in real time between systems, the rise of cloud where everything isn't locked away in a data center, the rise of CICD pipelines where now you can automate the deployment of technology and code, right? brings together a nexus of capabilities that allow technology solutions like what we built here at RegScale to take that, those capabilities, bring them together in an API-centric platform to shift compliance left to where now you can exchange information using APIs between systems, take those issues that come from security tools as mapped to compliance requirements, automate the creation of tickets in your ITIL platforms like ServiceNow, Jira, right? And keep your compliance paperwork evergreen and continuously up to date. This is this is what the compliance code movement was striving to do, right? You know, if you think to, and I'll, I'll pivot a little bit, um, you know, security operations centers were born, right? To help folks come together, take security events, address issues, and trying to, um, you know, react quickly to security events when they happen in as near real time as possible. You know, I think the time has come to bring a SOC to compliance, right? Instead of waiting for somebody to come in with a checklist and saying, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? Did you do that? You didn't do that. You better do this. Here's a spreadsheet. Go fill this out. Wait two weeks, right? You're not compliant. What if you had the concept of bringing those kind of things that we just talked about, cloud APIs, um, CICD pipelines, bring it together and have a SOC that could, from a compliance standpoint, to address those issues, to ensure you're not just continuously secure, but also continuously compliant. Yeah, I think you're touching on a lot of things I've been trying to kind of rant and write about lately is like, you know, traditionally compliance has been this snapshot in time assessment. You know, I kind of uh, I kind of compare it to like I have kids, right? I check their, their room. It's clean when I look. Uh, but what about in a week? What about in two weeks? What about in six months? You know, uh, the way we approach compliance is always a snapshot in time. We revisit it, you know, every every year, for example. Uh, that's no way to keep pace with the, the environment that we're in operating in agile DevOps environments, you know, as you mentioned in cloud. Uh, and the promise of the cloud API is we can, you know, evaluate those things in a near real-time fashion. So I think you're getting on some real innovative capabilities. And this is going to be the future of compliance. I think you guys are spot on with this. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, like we talked about APIs, cloud, you know, tool chains and things like that, a lot of technology promise, but there's a cultural aspect to this too. You know, the workforce is used to the spreadsheets, used to those legacy GRC tools, you know, used to evaluating controls manually, screenshots, shoulder surfing, all the fun things that we do uh, in compliance. You know, any thoughts on the, on the cultural aspect? How do we kind of adapt the culture and bring that workforce along with us on this new approach to doing compliance? Excellent question. You know, I, you know, the, the, all of this has happened before. If you remember um, the DevOps movement, there was a lot of concern from system administrators that went, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to be a sysadmin and run these systems. I mean, data point, I was a sysadmin. So at Los Alamos National Laboratory, I was a sysadmin. I ran servers. I racked and stacked servers, right? I literally started and built physical infrastructure, built the infrastructure. I, 
Now, I started there, right? So, you know, I, I say that to say, you know, you as you continuously learn and retrain, there's a capability to up-level your skill sets to be able to do things that you thought previously were impossible. That's what can now happen with compliance, where, you know, we're so used to doing compliance the same way in a checklist-driven mentality. Compliance adds value. The rules were created to help put guardrails in place so that you can understand, you know, here are the best practices and things that you should do. The problem is the way that we demonstrate doing them is painful and time-consuming and point in time, right? But if you made compliance real-time, if you made compliance continuous and complete to where that same person that's checking to ensure that you're actually doing those best practices can now focus on, okay, here are the things I need to manually test. Here's the risk that you're now faced because you are no longer compliant with these controls, which are in essence best practices. You're now a value add to the business. So it is a cultural transformation where you no longer have to just send spreadsheets around. You can produce audit-ready documentation on demand. You can leverage as code to do your job, up-level your skill set, and be a value to the business. That is a cultural transformation. And that's part of why you know, we talk about this regulatory operations or reg ops as a movement, because it is a cultural transformation coupled with technology to allow you to really bring the benefits of what DevOps brought to automation and, and, and driving code to production quickly to compliance. Yeah, I love what you said there about, you know, compliance adding value, because, uh, you know, often people will say, you know, uh, Compliance is not security. You know, they kind of uh, bemoan the concept of compliance, but compliance adds guardrails. You know, it ensures that we're doing these fundamental security activities. We have, you know, fundamental processes and policies in place uh, to mitigate some of the most common risks and vulnerabilities, things of that nature. I think it's the way we do compliance that's problematic. And what you're hitting at is the way of doing it now uh, can add that value at a much uh, faster pace that keeps pace with the business, you know, the way we're operating these days. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, on that front, you know, how does this new paradigm shift? How does it help uh, mitigate some of the most common uh, uh, failures we'll see for organizations when it comes to audits, when it comes to compliance? You know, how does this new approach help alleviate some of those concerns? And and how can organizations like look at this as a value, a value added activity? You know, making that cultural transformation shift, investing in this activity. Yeah. So I mean, I'll tell you. You know, if you're a CISO or you're a CIO, you know, the last words that you want to hear is an audit is about to happen. That's the last thing you want to hear, right? Because now you know you got to run around, talk to all your people, go find all this paper, prepare for the auditor who's going to come in there with their checklist, say, "Did you do this? Did you do that?" And, and the auditor, on the flip side of that equation, right? How would you like to be the person to walk into a room and everyone just goes like this the moment you walk in a room, right? That's not fun, right? So back to that cultural transformation side of the equation, how can you change the value equation? to where it doesn't feel like the most painful experience you've ever had in your entire life, but it's a value-driven equation to where you are now demonstrating value to the business because you're demonstrating you have to put the guardrails in place and you're constantly monitoring them, right? So the value proposition of ASCODE and shift left and brought to compliance and shifting left to compliance is you're always audit ready. Your paperwork is continuously up to date because you're continuously monitoring your controls. It's why we have this push towards a continuous ATO, right? Continuous ATO is continuous monitoring of your controls. The only way you can do that is leveraging an API-driven approach. 
because now you're tying to those tools that are continuously monitoring your infrastructure, tying them to the controls directly, right? Before the auditor shows up and says, did you do it? You've already created the ticket in, in JIRA or SNOW to go address the issue. And when it's closed over there, it's closed and your, your, your controls are up to date. So now you can focus on risk because ultimately that's what's important is compliance should just be the table stakes of what you do. It's the guardrails. But if you can now focus on when the auditor shows up, here's the risk to the enterprise, right? Because you're not complying in these controls. And then here's the operational risk to the business because of these threats that have come in, the incidents that have occurred, the controls that you're failing, right? And the cost to remediate, you can now have a real conversation around ROI and where to spend your dollars to, to remediate that risk, drive up your compliance posture and drive down your risk of security. So no longer is it compliance versus security. You can now have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, I think uh, you really touched on some great points there. One that you talked about that I think uh, I've run into a lot is we've seen cloud adoption in the public sector and Kubernetes and containers and stuff is that, you know, auditors, security control assessors, they spend a lot of time tackling these kind of activities around compliance that they don't have a lot of time to upskill around the technology. Uh, so it often creates this gap where they're trying to assess a system that they just don't understand often. And I think, you know, kind of remo removing that friction, that, you know, that issue there of letting, like, letting the platform assess these controls from a technical perspective alleviates that concern because now you can get real information you're not just having an engineer like have to take some time to either sprint to step aside and you know talk to the auditor, talk to the compliance folk, explain how we're doing things, how we set up the system. Uh, you're generating that telemetry in real time through the platform and presenting it to an auditor in a in a manner that they can understand. And I think that's where the where the real value is. Uh, something else you've talked about is you know you talked about codified documentation, right? And I know your organization is a big proponent and has had some involvement with an effort called OSCAL. Open Security yes. Control Assessment Language through NIST and FedRAMP and, and others that have gotten involved there. You know, for, for those not familiar, what, what is OSCAL and what exactly is the promise of moving to this codified you know, documentation format? Excellent question. And I, can't, I can tell you, we are such big proponents of this OSCAL movement. Um, the Open Security Controls Assessment Language is, um, and, and highly encourage you to go to pages.nist.gov slash OSCAL, O-S-C-A-L. Um, and learn more about it, right? It's, it allows you to express the intent of what you want to, to, to attest to from a security plan perspective, right? Both the plan itself, the assessment, the poems, the entire package as code, right? So as opposed to creating 600 page Word documents, right, that are instantly out of date the moment that you're created, Updating them in a point in time and doing a stare and compare exercise to try and figure out what changed, right? And the risk to my system. That's how we do it right now, right? You know, I look at these two documents and figure it out. Let the machines do what the machines do best. So being able to let the machines create that documentation package in OSCAL, right? A JSON object or an XML object, being able to parse that with the machine for the machine to then tell you, here are the controls that you need to go pay attention to based on whatever threat vectors or methodology that matters the most to you, right? As opposed to you trying to figure out, okay, what's the architecture of this system, right? How do they build this thing? Trying to understand how they wrote it. Did they write it right? Um, did they implement this control? I mean, you have to become like this SME in this system to try and understand how they implemented compliance to then determine, is it secure enough to meet my organization's needs? which is why it takes so long and it's so painful, 
Let the machine do what the machine does best. That's where Oscal and the promise of Oscal is so exciting, why we have fully embraced the standard, contributed to helping advance the state of the art by baking it into the core of our platform to output all levels of Oscal in a completely free community edition platform, right? Where you can download it, you can generate your own Oscal catalogs, profiles, system security plans, system assessment plans, um, right? Because the promise of a machine-readable future is where we are all headed. It's what happened with infrastructure. It's what's going to happen with compliance. Yeah, you actually touched on something I wanted to emphasize and even ask another follow-up question on. is like we're, we've seen this happen with infrastructure as code, you know, compliance and configuration as code, you know, containers. Everything is becoming declarative, you know, in, in a codified format. And OSCAL brings that, that kind of concept to compliance, which is critical, like you said, for machine readability, automation, efficiency, accuracy, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, one thing I've seen is like, you know, uh, you know, compliance folks can look at this concept and they can understand why it's valuable, why it's promising, uh, but they don't want to necessarily learn how to write OSCAL manually, right? How to, how to do these things uh, uh, manually and, and have to generate that stuff uh, themselves. You know, so how important do you think it is for a platform or a technology to be able to help generate these kind of things in, you know, these artifacts that we need, the SAP, the SARD, SSP, on and on, in these formats that we don't have to try to teach auditors and compliance folks or even take engineers time to write this code manually? Agreed. I mean, that, that, that is, that's the fundamental key is, you know, ultimately, you know, writing code from a compliance standpoint, right? You need to give, a you need to create a platform, right? Where GRC professionals that understand the intent of how compliance should be done can work in, in a UI or user experience that is easy to understand, easy to, to use, right? That's why Word and Excel are used because it's easy to understand. It's easy to use. I can just type in what I need, right? The, express the intent of what I need and let the machine do what the machine does best, right? But then let the machine do what the machine does best where you can have security architects say, hey, I know how this scanner works. I can tie this scanner's API to this platform's API or just turn that on if it's an enterprise capability, right? To where I just turn on the APIs that I need to map to those security controls that that auditor wants, right? So instead of the auditor knocking on your desk door saying, hey, give me the evidence and the screenshots for how you met AC5, right? Because I need to see that you've actually met that. So show me, right? Because my paper says this. So give me the screenshots that you log in and that I need this control. Let the machine do it, right? Makes a security professional's job so simple in that, okay, I'm just going to script it. Here you go. The GRC professional's job is great because they get that in a format that they can understand because it's in a graphical user interface, push a button and out comes off. Yeah, something else I want to talk to you about and, and you know, kind of bring up this, it's almost, I don't say a bad word or, you know, mythical unicorn within the, uh, this, the realm of public sector agencies and programs when it comes to compliance is the concept of reciprocity, right? Yeah, it's yeah. trusting what someone else has done. And, you know, in the traditional way of doing compliance that will require like going through their paperwork, just trusting what they've written down, what they've said. Uh, how do you think reciprocity in that concept changes when I can look at telemetry from the system, from the pipeline in a codified format, you know, and have those artifacts on demand, does reciprocity become, you know, more realistic underneath this, underneath this paradigm? You know, cause as, as we know, it's uh, often talked talked about, but it's never really implemented. You know, people tend to redo the work themselves cause they don't trust the artifacts or the documentation. You know, how do you think this changes in this new format, this new paradigm? Trust is two things in my view. Trust is truth plus transparency, right? 
So, you know, really for trust to be built and reciprocity to happen, you need to be able to say, this is what I'm saying we do. This is why we authorize this plan. And here's how. And here's how we're continuously monitoring those controls. Right. So if you're doing that, you can build trust to actually make reciprocity a reality to where there's you're minimizing the amount of rework that has to happen. Yet still understanding, you know what, here's a master system security plan. One of the beauties of OSCAL is that it it allows inheritance, right, where you can have a master SSP and have child SSPs inherit controls from the master SSP for those child system security plans that need to have deltas based on the profile of the agency that has the data that they need to secure or protect. So you can still do that, but because you trust those ma- that master SSP and the controls that are I- implemented in that master SSP, so you can see the continuous monitoring of those controls, right? Leveraging API, leveraging cloud, right? Leveraging the ads code movement. It makes reciprocity actually real. It's not just paper that's being passed. It's actually showing and demonstrating trust that, hey, you're doing what you say you're doing. Yeah, I think that part's so critical as we see the push for zero trust and, you know, software supply chain security. We're talking about attestations and, you know, those kind of things. Seeing that telemetry from the system in near real time is so critical to facilitating that trust. Uh, So I think you're spot on there. Uh, So I wanted to ask, you know, as we look forward, you know, say three to five years, you know, as an industry, these things take time to shift culture, shift the way we do things. You know, what do you think the future of compliance looks like? in these large organizations dealing with these uh, compliance frameworks. And then also I had a follow-up question you brought up, you know, HIPAA, SOC 2, FedRAMP, NIST, on and on. Uh, do we have a problem with framework sprawl and any thoughts on that topic? How do we tackle it? You know, how, how, we, how do we deal with that? Yeah. So I'll start with the first, which is, you know, how, what does the future look like? I mean, the future is continuous where compliance is no longer a paperwork driven exercise it is an exercise that allows you to level up your security profile and your security program, right? It's not a either or, it's an and, right? You're shifting left security and compliance, right? It's no longer just DevSecOps, right? Compliance is baked into that, right? Um, that's where RegOps comes in and it's part of the movement. So you need to be part of the movement of what the future is in terms of compliance. Because if we're still doing compliance in Word docs and Excel spreadsheets, 10 years, if that's how you're doing it 10 years from now, you're going to get left behind, right? If you're still rocking and stacking servers the same way you did in the 2000s, you're going to get left behind. The future is as code. The future is shifting left. There's an opportunity for you to up-level your skill set so that you can be part of that future. Learn, continuously learn and grow, right? This is how we together can ensure the guardrails that have been set are in place and you can help that organization up-level their security and compliance posture by being part of the RegOps movement. Now, the second part of your question, compliance framework sprawl. Everybody has a framework. Everybody's framework is special because everybody's special, right? All these frameworks came out for all these different industries, right? Because everybody's got to be a little bit different. And that's okay, right? I mean, the problem becomes when you have to do compliance over and over again for all these different compliance frameworks and you've increased the cost of doing business, right? Where now the questions are, are you this compliant? Are you that compliant? Are you Z compliant? Are you, and, and you know, the, the, the framework going on and on and the burden increases, right? It's why the ASCODE movement is so important because if you don't have an ASCODE approach, you will never be able to get ahead of the compliance and framework sprawl, right? 
the, the, the reality is these additional frameworks have come into place because they're putting in guardrails and protections and controls for organizations that need them, right? For a particular reason. So it's not ill intent. The intent is actually good. The problem isn't the frameworks. The problem is the way we match and address the frameworks, right? So if we say there's one framework to rule them all, I'm not necessarily sure that's true because there are different frameworks for different reasons because everyone is special for a particular reason and you should be, right? The question is how you demonstrate compliance against those frameworks. If you can do so and reuse evidence in a way that allows you to scale to meet those requirements across multiple standards and frameworks, now there's something. Yeah, I think you're uh, spot on with that one. I like the idea of you know, moving to a code uh, format and being able to kind of map across those frameworks and rationalize them, especially if you're you know kind of under the purview of multiple frameworks. You need a faster, easier way to do that. Otherwise, you're just going to drown in those manual activities. Yeah. Uh, so the last question I have for you that we ask every guest is, you know, what does the term cyber resiliency mean to you? I mean, cyber resiliency, the, the whole purpose of it is, you know, trying to ensure that you have really fully thought through and built cyber into every aspect of your business and architecture. The problem is, you know, there's always going to be gaps, right? You're always going to, there's always going to be something that you miss. So, um, yeah, so being, and that's why zero trust was born because, you know, ultimately if you, you know, trust all these different things, then, you know, you, you can end up with vectors where, you know, adversaries can attack, you know, you know, with the rise of nation states attacking, uh, attacking institutions around the globe and, you know, uh, ransomware and, you know, a variety of different threat actors that are, um, you know, attacking our nation's infrastructure as well as in systems. You know, it's it's important now more than ever to employ machines to do what machines do best, to refocus people on activities that allow you to increase your cyber resilience and move away from things that are what we typically focus on, which is this checklist mentality to focus on cyber and compliance resilience, right? To where we're now addressing the risks that matter the most to our mission and our nation. That's awesome. Awesome perspective. And that said, I want to say thank you for coming on and uh, thanks for being a proponent of the concept of RegOps, whether we call it RegOps or compliance innovation or whatever we call it. You know, we've seen the push for DevSecOps, you know, bringing shifting security left, uh, but often, you know, sh uh, that adds friction and slows down delivering value to the organization. And I think unless we shift to this as code format, integrating with APIs, cloud, you know, pipelines and telemetry in near real time, uh, we are not going to see the velocity we want to see because compliance is always going to be that manual burdensome activity. Uh, so that said, I, I really appreciate your perspective and I hope folks learn from the conversation. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.